Hey guys, welcome back to the Detour Live. I'm your host, Dan Jones, joined as always by four time national road champion from Australia, Johnny Trevorrow, Olympic gold medalist, and the savior of the commentary team. He's come in and <laughs> skipped him at the Santos Festival of Cycling because we've titled the episode Commentary Chaos as COVID hits. Uh, Scott McGrory, Scooter, take us through. You, you love telling a good yarn. Now, you should have a good yarn over what's happened in the last 24 hours. Well, I came over here to do the pre and post race um, interviews for the broadcast. Um, so I need to really protect my throat now and not talk too much because I'm now one of the commentators. So uh, tea, mate. Uh, hot tea. Hot tea. Yeah, I'll have to lemon and tea. Lemon and tea. Yeah. So uh, one of the way it was explained to us to uh, to tell was that one of the crew members has tested positive for COVID, and the commentary team were then, um, or some of the commentary team were close contacts and were forced to isolate. So at nine thirty. Last night, I got the call to uh, ask if I could step into the commentary booth and be the lead commentator for tomorrow to take over, uh, for, or today, for, to take over from Matt Keenan. And with um, Anna Mears also down for the counts, then Annette Edmondson got the quick phone call to step in. Robbie McEwen, of course, he stayed in the position because he had COVID over Christmas. So therefore, apparently, you know, with this virus, the way it works, you don't have to worry about uh, being a close contact if you've already recently had it. So he's immune to it. So, well, yeah, we had two commentators, new ones that stepped in today, myself um, and Annette Edmondson. Hopefully anyone that watched and listens were happy with what we produced. Um, last well, minute, I did, I did all the listen to a bit of it, Scotty. Yeah. I, was, uh, I, got, I drove straight to the uh, finish line up the start today. So I was there early and uh, got up uh, next to um, a big screen a bit further away because there's two lots. There's commentary at the event, but there's also uh, your commentary on the TV. And it was great. Very good. I was impressed. Thank you, well, thank you. So yeah. at least I'll have a little bit more time to think about even what where the stages are tomorrow. Because look, I'll be completely transparent. When I do the pre and post race interviews, there's not a lot you have to really know around, around the race itself. Um, like it's pretty self-explanatory where the stages go, but a little bit about the stages in particular. But you know, we'll pick the riders that we think are going to play a role that day to interview before the start, or had played a role the day before, and then after the finish, it's pretty straightforward you know you go and talk to first second and third and maybe someone else so there's not a lot of thought that goes into it um, whereas when you're actually the lead commentator you've got to do the vinaigrettes you know the advertising throughout it you've got to throw in and out of ad breaks you know and go to different segments there's there's a lot more to being a lead commentator or a host commentator than Gotti, you can talk underwater underwater with a mouthful of marble so you have, you have no problem mate as long as it doesn't sound like that that's the point isn't it <laughs> are, are you finding that riders nowadays scotty because as you said it is hard when you do the post-race stuff to get stuff out of riders it isn't the generic like if it's a sprint stage over win they always say oh the team were fantastic they the full credit to the to the guys they kept me protected kept me out of the wind it's like oh come on give me something else but what can you say, I suppose? Like, it's tough. Yeah. Well, look, it, but that is that is also very much the tradition of the sport. And you know this very well, Dan, from your time when we were at Fox Sports and, and doing our Oz cycling stuff back in the day as well, where all of the riders are pretty low-key. And even the ones that are fully confident, they don't want to say too much beforehand because then they have a target on their back. Right? Yeah. Anyone that's, that puts their hand up and says, look, I will win today because I am the best rider – all of a sudden, you've just made an enemy of every other rider other than your teammates in the peloton to try and stop that from happening. Happening. So cycling, you know, it's one of those sports where tactics play a huge role and it's easier to help a rider not win 
you know, to tactically make it more difficult for riders to win. Um, you know, and that might be, you know, someone that's been a bit of a smart ass before the stage, talking themselves up, gets into the breakaway, and a few teams say, didn't like what he said this morning, let's bring mm. it back. And they just chase it down. So nobody talks themselves up in, in cycling, or very, very few people. So, you know, that's the same after the stage. They're always going to be nice and um, thankful of their team because they want their team to work for them the next day as well. So they have to mm. say nice things. Yeah. Now, Scotty. I want to get your opinion yes. on this. Talking about riders, uh, you know, teaming up and riding against. Uh, there's a little bit of something going on between, between two of our great time trials, who are also two of the best time trials in the world. In uh, Rowan Dennis, of course, former world champion, and Luke Plapp, the upcoming star, who's gone to Ineos, which was the team that uh, Rowan Dennis has just left. And there seems to be a little bit of. Oh, I don't know. Uh, how would we put it? I think Rowan is Argy, very keen. Argy, Argy. Argy, Rowan's very keen to put any pressure he can on Luke Plapp. And when Luke Plapp had a mechanical today, it was Rowan Dennis doing a lot of work at the front, I noticed. That was on the hill, though, as well. So it was just yeah. Rowan trying to make the race as hard as possible, conveniently at the time when Luke Plapp was out the back. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't know too much about that, John. Um not, I haven't seen or heard anything about those two in particular. Um, but we know what Rowan's like. So, look, I like Rowan. He's a passionate rider. And as long as you don't get in his way, um, he's so focused that if you do, he'll he'll run you down, you know, and that's on or off the bike. That's kind of the way he is. So, you know, maybe maybe Plappy, you know, the next time troller coming through is getting in Rowan's way a little bit and he's happy to run him down. Um, I'm not sure. But I haven't heard any of that, John. Oh. No, if, if he sees it all. He sees well, through all of it. I, I'm actually a big fan of both of them. I mean, uh, uh, Rowan from his earliest days, riding in the Bay Crits as a 17-year-old. Yeah. You're also a shitster, John. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, no, I, I'm a big fan. From, from I know he had uh, some run-ins with different people when he was at Cycling Australia and the teams before Olympics and stuff. Most times he was in the right, actually. He's just very, very passionate. He, don't, he can't yep. let things go by. So I'm a, a big fan. And, and young Luke, well, he's just a, a, a superstar of the future. But there just seems to be, I don't, I don't think they're on each other's Christmas card lists. That's all I'm saying. I'll, I'll keep an eye out. I'll keep an eye out on that because you're, you're right about Rowan, right? So he, he does get somewhat misunderstood because, you know, he has these run-ins and conflicts, et cetera. But as I said, he is so focused on what he wants to do. Very much. If you're not on board, yeah, if you're not on board with him, then you're in the way and therefore there, there becomes conflict. Um, so, yeah, he's passionate and he's been successful and he wants to continue being that way. Luke Plapp on the other side, I think he's a you know lovely young man. Um, but he is the next kid coming through, and he's a good time troller. So, you know, maybe there's just that natural sporting rivalry between the two that creates a little bit of angst. It's not too much of it, but, um, you know, a sport yeah. where nobody tries to unsettle the others too much, other than the sprinters, perhaps. Um, you know, maybe maybe you're beefing it up a little bit more than it really is. I'm, I'm not sure, John. I'll, oh, I'll yeah, never, I never, do, I never right. do I never no. do that. But I felt a little bit for Luke Plapp today because he had that mechanical. Uh, it was coming back. Uh, um, I heard Rowan dropped a little tack. Just on. <laughs> no, he got the team. The team helped him up. One one young bloke um, stayed back to help him, but he couldn't. They couldn't swap wheels because they had the wrong. Yeah, you know, one had disc brakes, one didn't because they're in a com composite team. But um, the barraging of the officials when he got up to what he thought was uh, back to the bunch, it was actually turned out it was still nearly a minute down uh, fr from the uh, actual main group he was trying to catch. 
That is correct. So that's a challenging situation. It's the same as if you can think about it. Um, today was a circuit. They went five times around a circuit, four times over the main hill of the day. So as the race hit the climb the second last time, it did really start to break up. And the gaps are too small to bring the cars in behind to keep the convoy nice and tight in that situation. So the team cars and the race officials had dropped back. Then he had his puncher. It took a while for his team car to get up to him to change the wheel. Then a long chase to get back to the convoy. He then rode through the convoy as is perfectly you know, his right to do so and got to the chief commissaire car, which was now a long way behind the peloton because it had barrage behind several groups. And it's the same as if you're in a crosswind situation. You get a puncher and then the peloton turns right or left into a crosswind and the race blows up. You come back to the back of the race, which is the last echelon. And sorry, you know, you might have been strong enough to be in the front group, but you've now got to get past three, four groups that have all been dropped. And, and that's the same as what happened today. There was a little bit of controversy around the officials and whether they should have created those barrages as much as they did. Um, I wasn't at the back of the race, so I really don't have an opinion on that. But I know that Luke and his team management were really quite disappointed with how it, how it played out. And it could have simply been just punched at the wrong time and got upset. You know, it may not have been the official's fault. Speaking of mechanicals, your mic's brushing your uh, collar there, Scooter. We've got very high audio standards on this show, mate. Uh, a couple Sorry, of uh, <laughs> you're right. A couple of comments. Troy Collett, he said you did a great job. Wendy, super fan. Hi, John and Scott. What's going on there, Wendy? No, Dan. Oh. Uh, <laughs> remember, I pushed the buttons. That could be the last <laughs> time you get a mention. Uh, Troy. Collett says, what about Whelan's time penalty yesterday? There was a lot of discussion pre-start. Um, a minute is a big chunk. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on that, Scott? Do you think it was justified or do you reckon it's a little bit harsh? Yeah, look, I had a conversation with officials after the, the race today about it as well. So it certainly, I feel that it was perhaps too harsh, um, but there was a lot going on. And, and at first it was said that, he had missed the start because of a mechanical. So when they rolled off down into the neutral after the start at Sterling, he wasn't even in the race. That was the first thing that came through. And they had not communicated that to anybody. So the race eventually got to kilometre zero and got underway. And it was 10 kilometres later until he um, you know, motor paced behind his team car to catch back up again. The team then disputed that afterwards to say that he was definitely in the race at the start. And had a mechanical during the neutral section, which was missed by the commissaires, commissaire three and commissaire four behind the peloton. Um, and that there is no way to communicate to the commissaires from a team car when you're behind, because the radios, the radio communication in the team cars is one way. You can hear communication from the commissaires and directions, but you can't talk back to them. So if you're behind the race and they haven't noticed Whelan pulling over for a mechanical, then the question is, how do you then tell the commissaires that you are behind? Now, they didn't mm. know. They hadn't seen him. Um, but it was just interesting that, you know, we're not really sure whether he, it was clear that he was um, not in the race to start with or the mechanical happened in the neutral. The big controversy in the end was, you know, why he got penalised so much was because he had to motor pace for a good 8 to 10 kilometres, allegedly, to get back on. But the reason for that was the start was eight kilometres downhill, flat out, and the bunch was doing 60-odd k's an hour cruising, but at high speeds. So you can imagine if you was to motor pace for, say, two kilometres, which is the regulation, you're allowed to do up to about two k's, on flat ground, the speed difference between him behind a car coming back and the peloton would be 
quite significant and you come back quickly. But when the peloton's doing 60-odd Ks an hour, you just can't motor pace at 120 Ks an hour to try and catch up. So that's why it took so long. So therefore, the penalty seemed appropriate because he was behind the car for so long. But I think it was a bit of a comedy of errors. And in the end, um, perhaps too, well, definitely perhaps too harsh, uh, the one-minute penalty. Um, so can, can what it does do for the race it? overall... Can they ever go, oh, we got that wrong, we'll give you 30 seconds? Because they back. can, they have it. Too late. They won't do it now. They've already, you know, well, and there's also no appeal. So it used to be that you could appeal a protest or have a protest or a decision. And mm. the this is not this race organisation or, or cycling, the UCI, the governing body of world cycling, they are the ones that took that appeal process out so that these disputes are just settled really quickly and it's up to the officials. They make a decision and that's it. Whether that's right or wrong... Yeah. I don't that's find not, it very. I don't yeah. find it very appealing. Is what yeah. I no, that yeah. sort of a lack of appeal is not appealing at all. <laughs> Gavin B. Gavin B. says it's interesting with such a big time penalty. When does it go from a time penalty to a DQ? Eight to ten minutes is a huge chunk. Uh, go time to be motor pacing. I know that there was a lot of uh, um, a, a long meeting after the race. Uh, um, I heard from one of the um, uh, officials who was involved in that. In names, but there was a long debate. At, at first, they thought he just missed the start. It wasn't at the start, and really could have been disqualified from the race. That was being touted. Uh, but then it turns out that someone had a photo that actually shows he was at the start on the start line. So I think that was uh, also uh, brought up. In the end, what should have happened? If you know, they would have just stopped the start when they got, they would have stopped it until he got back on the actual start. So, you know, for those who are just listening in, there's the, you know, the the, the virtual starts they have. They fire the gun at eleven o'clock. They go under control for two, three, four k, whatever it might be for safety, and then they drop the flag. Sometimes, like today, because it was a big descent, they actually stopped the riders on the start line at the actual start and then restarted them only for a few seconds and away they went. That could have been, uh, uh, should have been done. I believe he shouldn't have been penalised at all. I mean, it took him, okay, it took him longer to get back on because exactly as you said, Scotty, they're doing 70k an hour down, down the hill. How's he going to get on in 2k? It just can't be done. So I don't think he did anything wrong and I don't believe he should have been to- uh, docked at all. Well, I say it another I, I way. I think it, I think trimming a minute it makes the race way more interesting. Great stuff. <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah, this is like well, when... You omelette always... without breaking some eggs, John. <laughs> Yeah, this is like when Michael Schumacher was dominating in Ferrari and um, yeah. they were the most reliable team. He was winning everything. And then towards the end of a particular season, the car started to break down all the time. And then it got really, really close in the championship race. And then he dominated the last couple of races and won again. And I still think that that particular season, the FIA completely <laughs> manipulated it to make it nice and close for TV. Uh, Perhaps that's what's happened love here. A conspiracy as long as Jimmy Wheeler. Theory. As long as Jimmy let's Wheeler get Stewie on and, and let's get some answers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, Maureen Brown says nothing gets reversed in cycling, uh, and David uh, says let's just hope he wins or loses by five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's a fair point. His point is right. If he really goes out the hoop up Wollonga, well then fine. Mm. But if he was to lose by one minute up Wollonga, and so lose, you know, and then lose the tour by ten seconds or twenty seconds, phew. That that'd be leave some sound. It's going to be a, 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 a great stage. The interesting thing is, uh, we only climb Wollonga once, so it's only the finale. Uh, normally, you know, they climb it and oh. do the loop and climb a second time. So it's only um, we do the two big loops, uh, Aldunga Beach and all of that. And they've got, I think it's 
three or four loops. Uh, well, I've got around. I've got the video of that if yeah. you want to show it a bit All later. Right. But what yeah. why don't we talk about we'll talk about stage two, then we'll yeah. go to a break. Okay. And then I've got a detour DeLorean clip from classic Wollonga Days, Ify, because I know you love that segment. Uh, and then we can have a look at the preview for stage three. But let's have a look at the action of the final of stage two and the winner's interview. There's a lot of talk about the youngster Dylan George. He's showing what he can do, what the promise is. But look at the lead out coming from informed TMX make in the white colours. They have Blake Quick there. Luke Clapp is in there as well. Jensen Plough right in the red, white and blue. George trying to hold on. Inside the last couple of hundred metres, Dylan George is just going to get run down. It's Blake Quick coming over the top. Jensen Plough right trying to get there for second. But it was the fastest man, the quickest man. Blake Quick comes away with the win. Textbook lead out and left it to the last possible second to catch George it was an audacious attack by the young man from Garmin Team Australia but at the end of the day TMX Inform make they have done exactly what they needed to do they've let out Blake quick so he's two from two in the bunch sprints yeah once again my team I can't believe it honestly they're so professional and so dedicated to the team that was unbelievable you know they put us under a lot of pressure right at the end with a late move but but uh, we had BJ behind Rudy coaching Rudy through the final steps and then when BJ went he timed it to perfection dropped me off and I just went and when did you actually think you had a chance to you know the breakaway got out to nearly two minutes at one stage when did you start playing we have an opportunity here uh, to live you to the line you know what stage you go this is a chance for us to take another win um I was never really too worried to be honest um you know Bridgeland's got a strong team and they kind of would have always wanted to control it a little bit and and, you know, we still had a lot of horsepower, so if we really needed to, we could have. And, and I mean, time comes out of a break like that really quickly on a uh, finishing circuit like that. So, yeah. You started off tonight a great victory in the Trek Night Riders Criterion, but what's it feel like to win a stage of the Santos Festival Cycling? Oh, really good. Uh, I'm a super happy boy. Couldn't be happier with everyone around me and my team. Uh, oh, stoked. Good on you, Blake. Thank you, yeah. the team. And, um, and BJ, um, and you didn't mention it all. They talk about the lead out in the team, but Brenton Jones, he is mm. the best lead out uh, man going around here at the moment in Australia. He's mm. lead out uh, in the crit the other night and again today, absolutely superb. Yeah, for sure. And Scott, how much of the commentators, obviously Blake's won a lot of races now, but when you have the last name quick, I mean, it just, <laughs> oh, we can really mix this up. Um, yeah, you have to be careful too to not to um, make it sound a bit uh, a bit silly. But yeah, I'll be throwing in the rapid um, and the the swift and or you know whatever. We'll be throwing some stuff in there. Um, that wasn't a bad call, that actually. I didn't mind my little call on that finish. <laughs> I saw hey, your face had... in the background when you were listening in your voice. You just see the smile. Oh, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that sounds okay. It's like a professional. Hey, some um, people he's... are like, turn it off, turn it off. Scotty's like, come on. Yeah, give me some more. Give me some more love. He's had seven races this year. He's won five of them. Wow. How good's that? He is. Two, two of them being the but Bay No, 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 John. Come on. The Bay Crits are done, mate. You've got almost a year to prepare. Let's let's move yeah. on. Uh, all right. Let's go to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to fire up the detour DeLorean. We're going to have a preview of stage number three. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> It's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. 
people that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs. Semi-amateurs. And pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank. And these bars. This could be the perfect match. But not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace, with over 500,000 products and 900 brands, where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. Life is like a two-way street. It's about consideration and mutual respect. Roads are much the same. However you get around, walk, ride or drive, if we share our roads, we can all be safer. The Amy Gillett Foundation is Australia's peak cycling safety charity. Our mission is for safe cycling in Australia. Our vision is for zero cyclist deaths. Over the last year, we've seen an enormous increase in people taking up cycling, whether it be for recreation, with the family, commuting, or even to start your own cycling career. We need to do more to make it safer for every cyclist. 20 cyclists every day are hospitalized, and one cyclist is killed every 10 days on Australian roads. So. The next time you jump on your bike or hop in your car, remember to practice the four C's. Be courteous, calm, considerate and conscientious. Every cyclist's death is preventable and we all deserve to get home safely. Please donate to help the Amy Gillett Foundation make the road safer for you and for me. Thanks to Bikes Change and the Amy Gillett Foundation. Just on the Amy Gillett Foundation, it's obviously all about cycling safety. I was out on the road today and saw a rider almost got cleaned up by like four-wheel drive that had those windows, you know, that stick right out. They're the real dangerous cars. And literally was a centimetre from skittling this rider and just took off. So I got the angry juice going and I took off after him. Then I was starting to think, actually, what am I going to do here? Like he was close to hitting that person, but I, I wanted to bloody throttle them. So I took a photo of the number plate, rang Iffy in a panic. You know, what, what, I've got his number plate. What do I do? And he's like, jeez, I don't know, mate. I don't know. Like, so we're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. But all I can say is just be bloody careful out in the roads and meet it, meet it matters for sure, but even give more space if you can. Um, is, is, yeah. um, is a citizen's arrest still a thing? Well, I, I was ready to do it, but then uh, he just took off. Um but yeah, I, in fact, I don't even know what I would have done. I would have said, you know, watch where you're going and, and keep an eye on the riders and he probably would have yeah. told me to get effed. But so, that, that, it's the challenge, yeah. isn't it? Because, you know, all of the states now have brought in the safe passing laws. Mm. But unless there's a, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you monitor that? You know, it's basically if you get hit, clearly they've infringed. Yeah, that's, it. that's so right. If, if it's a super close call... And, you know, obviously very, very scary for, for any cyclist of any ability if a, a vehicle comes past super close. But how do you actually police that? And that, that's a real challenge, isn't it? So it still comes back to attitudes. And that's Australian drivers have a, a very, very bad attitude, not just against cyclists, but just other road users. And that's something that I've certainly noticed from, from traveling around the world. Australian drivers are shocking. Mm. And that's unfortunate. Could be oh, worse in Colombia, I think. But anyway. I know. Jeez. <laughs> latest. Ineos rider, what was his name Another again? One. Egan Bernal. 
No, another no, one this morning. Another one. Oh, another this one. morning. Oh, today? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, really? Yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. missed the news. Overnight. One of their top young young guys is in oh. hospital. He got, I had to get He's off. He's in the same hospital well. as Benal, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, not good. Anyway, we better flip this around and bring the mood up, and it's time for John's favourite segment, the Detail Deluxe. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. All right. Pop quiz. Start with you, Ify. What do you remember of the 2004 Santos Tour Down Under? 2004 or 14? Uh, 14. That's not even... Botch only, intro, only, only say that because you put that up on the questions going up. 2014, Mate, sorry. I have trouble remembering 2021 or 20. Is, my point is, in the moment when it happens, you're like, this is bloody massive. You know, everyone, this is going to be etched yeah. in the history. But then as time passes, people go, hang on, what year is that? So what it was is, remember, Cadell Evans had the lead early on. Gero didn't win the Tour Down Under in 2013, one on Wollongong Hill, but was desperate to win the overall. So he came into the race ripped, lean, ready to go. And I wanted to highlight the Stage 5 backstage pass because obviously they're going up Wollongong only one time. But uh, And that was when we were doing the pie-eating competitions. Uh, but he had to – Cadell had the jersey. I think he had to make up – seven or eight seconds and there was time bonuses up to third place but it's a classic example of how crafty simon gerens was as a bike rider you know when they he's just so meticulous and was never out in the wind and knew that you know if cadell's nervous and he does a lot of work on the wind in that last effort on the last time up Wollonga, that's when i'll strike so uh i thought i'd show a snippet of the 2014 stage five backstage pass from the sand i still down under Welcome to Backstage Pass, this is Stage 5, Old Wollonga Hill, the Queen Stage of the Tour Down Under. We've got to win today's stage to, to win the Tour. Simon's going to get over the top of Cadell Evans and take some bonuses to, to win. Because we don't want to leave it to the last days to roll Cadell. But uh, on another front, the, the, my pie count's going pretty good. I'm on 11 pies. But uh, I'm going to have to go double pies today. We've got an award-winning bakery here at McLaren Vale. I've got the old Bush Ranger pie to start with and a uh, kangaroo and Kwong Dong to finish off the proceedings. But I'm going to have to go three pies tomorrow to get it over the line. So it's a tough day ahead. You in the pie count now, mate? Yeah, but I'm. Uh, this is my second. Uh, Eleven behind Whitey. If I uh, let my excitement come out, I could potentially break the camera. So uh, I'm that excited. What's your role today, big fella? Oh, just same as yesterday. Just fruit, yeah, just fruit people up, pretty much. That's my job tomorrow. Today is to fruit people up. No, sorry, no pies. Oh, you're a Thanks very much, guys. See ya. Thank you. That's lunch. <laughs>
great work, guys. Great work in the lead into this climb. And Daryl and uh, Daryl and Clarky just play it cool and uh, stay around Gero and let uh, other teams control the bottom part of this climb. Great work leading into it, guys. Come on, we can do this. suspense on the climb there because one time it looked advantage Evans advantage Gerrans it was right up to the final few hundred meters yeah that's right I tried to conserve as much as I could on the climb because it was quite a strong headwind so the second you put your nose in the wind you really died down and I could see that Cadell he's obviously a little bit nervous there because he did a heck of a lot of work and uh, when we jumped in the finish there he wasn't able to respond I know you guys are not reputedly uh, some of the best sprinters in the world but there's still time bonuses available tomorrow. It's going to be an exciting day on Australia Day. Yeah, I'm not sure what sort of advantage I have, but uh, look, I've got a fantastic team here. As we saw today, yesterday, all week, they've been they've been absolutely brilliant. So uh, um, that gives me a lot of confidence going into tomorrow. Well, good luck tomorrow. It'll be a great day. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> We got the jersey by three yeah. seconds, boys. They said one. One. Who said one? Uh, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Get off by six seconds. Yeah, yeah. Get off by six seconds. Oh, oh how's it going, boys? How's it going, Demo? Oh, mate, you're going to get sweeter than that, eh? We fruited them up, all right? We fruited them up. That was awesome. They fruited them up. They <laughs> obviously went on to win the put out under that year. And Fruit salad. That was the first race Matt Heyman had done with the team. So he'd come from the Sky environment. I just remember the after party was sensational. I think it always ends up at like the Apple nightclub and Heyman was actually the last to leave. And I remember sitting there oh, some godly hour in the morning and looked at me and goes, hey, don't get used to this, mate. This is a once-off. You know, oh, I'm not that sort of person. I said, oh, mate, just release the grip. It's funny you do this. <laughs> so, but no, it was fantastic memories. And it's just great seeing those old scenes with like a packed Wollonga Hill. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of crowd out there tomorrow. It is a shame they don't do a couple of laps because that was always the special part of it. But yeah, um, yeah. there's plenty of other advantage points. Uh, and uh, very nice to hear uh, uh, the late Paul Sherwin. Paul Sherwin. Uh, yeah. yeah, fantastic. Great. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, your point at the start of it all um, about Gero being mm. an intelligent 
um, bike rider, and that that was so clear in that that it was very calculated. He knew headwind. Don't keep keep your nose out of the winds. Um, yeah, it was such a such a fantastic racing intellect. Oh, unbelievable! Now here's the preview, fellas, for stage three. I just kill the audio. Uh, Scooter, what do you expect? Um, well, James Whelan obviously <laughs> would like a little bit more of a lead coming into this, but he's a good climber. He's such a skinny guy, former runner, you know, come back from the World Tour. He's obviously super fit at the moment. You'll see your breakaway go early. There are two small King of the Mountain climbs, but they are just as you go into Wollonga Hill and do the little U-turn. So they're tiny little things. They're only Category 4. But that's going to be a fantastic competition. So Dylan Sunderland and Ben Hill are tied on 12 points. The winner of the stage, because it's a Category 1 up Old Wollonga Hill, that's 10 points, right? So I don't expect either of them to win the stage. But whoever does win the stage may not have any King of the Mountain points. So there's going to be a real fight for those two Category 4 climbs to try and come away in the King of the Mountains competition. So there'll be definitely a race within the race. Ben Dybel, who is one of the skinniest man, men on the planet, he holds the sprint jersey at the moment, which is it'll be the first time he's ever been in a sprint rider's uh, leader of the, a sprint classification. So it'll be interesting to see such a skinny guy cruising around in that. Whether he can hold on tomorrow, I doubt it. But, yeah, the, the climb itself, one shot. Um, after what happened to Luke Plapp, Today, losing time and being upset with the way that was officiated, I expect Platt to be on absolute fire. So the combination of him and Richie Port together, I think, will be a force to be reckoned. And James Whelan is just going to have to hang on for grim life. Grim life. Um, what do you think, if they're going to have planned for Richie Port? Like, if I was running the marketing for Tour Down Under, you know when they do a send-off, they always get those face masks. <laughs> and they always have all on the sticks of Richie's head or they've got to do something because, you know, he's he's obviously done all this effort to, to race in the event this year. He did the two weeks quarantine. He's won, you know, 40 times on Wollonga Hill. Statue. Has to be. Yeah, statue. Richie Boyd statue. Uh, look, yeah. um, you, you take a power of being tomorrow, I, I, I'll pick. Uh, Richie to win the uh, to win the stage, but I think uh, James will will win the tour. I think he'll hang on. He's climbing as well as anybody, um, and Bridge Lane uh, are, are riding uh, a pretty intelligent race. I think they will uh, make sure he's in the right place. And as you say, Scotty, he's got to hang on up or longer. Sounds easy, won't be, but uh, Richie uh, um, and uh, and Luke, well, well, they're not in contention so they're you know minutes back so it won't be them it'll be the other guys and and the guy running seconds is, is, is his teammate so uh young matt dinan is at 27 seconds brendan johnson some lot of good bike riders there but they're not capable of uh of dropping james on the climb i don't think so i, I reckon he'll yeah. win the tour chris chris harper um i guess on pedigree if he's on really good form is someone that can really throw the cat amongst the pigeons but he's 33 seconds back so only just a little yeah. bit behind that race for the minor placings there are what is it there's from first down to 14th is 33 seconds so yeah. everything is going to come down to Wollonga hill one time up at one shot yeah. um, and you're right about richie and and luke you know they they want the stage but they're too far behind to get the tour overall yeah. so there's going to be a, you know a couple of races going on the king of the mountains classification the stage win and then the GC itself. So it'll be, yeah. oh, it'll be well, from, fascinating. From, from second down to, what is it, 16th, there's only six seconds between them. So that, that uh, battle for second, third, uh, it's going to be a ripper. More races with just three stages because if it's an epic final day, oh, 
anyone's uh, a chance. Now, Simon Plapp, if he, he's got a question. If he surely bike change start bidding on Blake Quick. <laughs> oh, good thing. Um, you, you're spot on. I was talking to him today, actually. That's Luke's dad. Um, lovely guy. Um, well, I might have been standing next to uh, um, them today, uh, like Jerry and uh, and maybe I mentioned it a couple of times. I mentioned it a couple of times after the Bay Crits as well. He's very, very uh, good lad. Now you got to remember that uh, uh, he lives with the Platt family, so they're they're, they're very uh, um, a major part of of uh, his development over the last uh, twelve months, especially. So um, yeah, very so very. So you got all man. so you got all your mail mail about Rowan Dennis from Simon Platt. No, he never mentioned him at all. The funny thing was, I had a lovely 10-minute conversation with, with, with Simon Plapp today, and I walked away and, and did something else. And the next minute, who comes up? But Rowan uh, Dennis's dad. And I had a 10-minute conversation with Rowan Dennis's dad. Oh, and so, you still uh, threw it out there at the start of the show. You would have thought you'd course, have more respect for the families. No, I love a little bit <laughs> Unbelievable. Of well, they, well, like the two fathers are now having a punch up right in front of me. So, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> There's no animosity yeah. there. Troy if, Cole, he didn't know, if he didn't film it, it didn't happen. He wants to know, do you still have the ACDC clip that the team did? Now, what I will say about that ACDC video is because of that, you are not allowed to use ACDC music on YouTube. They will take your video down. And before we did that video, it was, it was fine. So because of me, I spoiled it for everyone. Yeah, um, it for everyone. Yeah, yep. um, very loaded question there from from Simon Platt. Um, my question back to Simon would be, what about in twelve months' time? Wouldn't Blake um, be better suited going into Ineos with Simon's son Luke? That'd be a nice little combination. Two mates riding together at Ineos. But hey, one of the things when you're looking at sprinters in particular, so Blake obviously he's had a fantastic start to the season here in, in Australia. But today's stage, it wasn't that easy, was it? And the climb that they went over, 1.2 kilometres, you have Richie Port, Rowan Dennis lighting it up. It was very much a reduced field over the top the last time. Yet first, second and third, and I said this in commentary, were probably the three most predicted fast sprinters in the race. You had Brendan, uh, Brenton Jones also do the lead out for, for Blake. So you had four super quick sprinters that got over that and got to the end. And I'm, I was just so impressed by... Guys that are seen as sprinters that aren't just pure sprinters, they can mix it on these lumpy stages. And even, you know, Jensen Plowright yesterday, um, I noticed that, you know, he lost four minutes, but that wasn't that far down in the overall classification of the peloton itself. So these guys are, are so well-trained and so well-conditioned. They're not your old-school pure sprinters that need a flat race to have a chance. They can get over some of these hills, and, and that really impressed me today. So well, Blake, how much... Blake Quick didn't go too bad uh, in Australian Championships uh, at, um, at Bunnyong either, did he? Oh, absolutely. Now, you know, the other <laughs> thing you'd say is it's under 23s, right? So it's still a super hard circuit and Matt Denham and, you know, all these other guys in there, some really good climbers. Um, but, you know, this is different, isn't it? This is against some of the World Tour riders that are here. There were no World Tour riders yeah. in the under 23 national championships yeah. not trying to discredit that performance at all but i'm yeah. just saying this i think is a step up from what he did even last week so very impressed by the sprinters and blake in particular gavin's got one for you johnny he says is it fair to say the downside of the increased strength of australian cycling is that more eyes are on our up-and-coming riders makes it more difficult for greenish to pick the cream of the crop yeah that's very true um when you look at the, the depth of australian cycling right now 
uh, it's mind-boggling. I mean, see how many riders we've got in the World Tour or on the edge of getting into the World Tour. Is that the Cadell Evans effect of winning the Tour in 2011? Oh, that was part of it, I guess. Um, a 10-year-old yeah. kid sees that. Now that 10-year-old kid's 21, 22. I'm sure. I'm sure it had. Uh, and we saw the uh, uh, the amount uh, uh, of Australians going to the Grand Tours to watch the especially the Tour mm. de France really increase as Cadell started racing for it. You know, not just his win, mm. but the, the twice second and uh, uh, all of that. I remember the first Tour de France I went on, or the first one, 91, I think I saw two or three um, Australian flags and kangaroos. Second one was in 98. There was a few more. And then it just took off. Yeah, We, we used to stop. And interview uh, uh, nearly every Australian we saw. And then every time you turned a corner, you saw an Australian flag. So you couldn't do that anymore. And they're all a part of it. But, uh, yeah, look, Australian uh, road cycling right at the moment is in a very, very good position. But we've got a lot of work to do at the grassroots level. Um, So there's still. I I thought you were going to. You're going down a path there where I thought it was a great segue for you to say, well, speaking of Aussies going to the tour. Shoot John an email, john at cyclingevents.com.au if you want to go to the Tour de France with the detour. Yes, we're going to release a bit more of this. This is out of the way, and you and I can sit together. And, we're going to do some actual work. All, all the detail, do some work. Um, because we've, got a, we've had a couple of emails from people who are very interested. Now, I I've, uh, haven't told you about this yet, Dan, but I've uh, set down a very, very good uh, uh, deal on the Giro. So a little partnership, which we'll talk about um, maybe in tomorrow's podcast. So uh, I'm going to tell you about it first. <laughs> when do you consult with me, mate? You yeah, just like yeah. a bloody... Letting a dog out of a hot car. What were you going to say, Scotty? Well, you mentioned the Giro. So yesterday uh, was 100 days until the start of the Giro and all 21 stage towns starts and finishes from Budapest all the way through to Italy lit up in pink. So all their monuments in their towns lit up in pink to mark 100 days um, to... I actually, I, I got an email about that and I thought, I'll mention that in the commentary of you know, European racing comes up and it didn't, so it didn't get there. So I'm saying it now. Oh, there nice. you go. Breaking news. Good nugget. Yeah, not really, but yeah. <laughs> all, right, all right, fellas, predictions. Who's going to win tomorrow? Richie Port. Richie. Go on, Scooter. Plapp. Throw, throw around. Luke, Luke Plapp, and not just because his dad's watching. Yeah. <laughs> Plapp from Paul, uh, Plapp from Rowan. Yeah, no, I, th- I think, um, look, last year, Plappy was great. He could have won the stage, actually. Did the right thing. You know, his teammate clapped across the line from behind. I think, on similar reasons, his final race at Wollonga, I reckon... Uh, Plappy will uh, lead Richie out. Plappy will be um, happy to see uh, um, yeah, Richie take it out. And I think uh, uh, James Whelan will take out the overall. He doesn't get, a, he doesn't get that emotional, Richie... Um, in terms of like tears and breaking down, do you think he'll show much emotion after he's finished no. at Wollonga Scooter? <laughs> uh, no, um, but we'll all be happy. We'll be emotional for him if he if he does take out the win. What yeah. I would like to see tomorrow is no big time penalties, no relegations, you know, no stuff ups, no flat tires in the last fifteen k's. You know, I just hope it's a straight up clean. No COVID time. ripping through the commentary box. So you've just gone straight to the hotel, lock yourself in the room. Glenn 20. <coughs> that's it. <coughs> I was yeah, waiting for the I'll call. I was waiting for the call. I was, was going to say, 
Who's part of the D team? <laughs> if he... Yeah, exactly. Well, it'd be probably Dave McKenzie. They'd pull him off the uh, the, the stage at the fi- the finishes and then bring mm. him in because it's also yeah. one of those things. How many how many people actually have um, experience to be a lead or a host commentator on cycling that are around a race? You know, Matt mm. Keenan gets most of the jobs. I do it as well at the Olympic Games. Um, you know, Dave Mack has done it a couple of times. Outside of that, I don't think there's John, anyone John here. Trevor. That has yep. well been lead commentator now. John, yeah, I'm sure John would be the best of all. Of Could us you imagine if John it. was leading the Channel Nine like broadcast? I would watch that for sure. No matter what Oof. I was doing, that would maybe be once. Incredible. You might watch, you might watch <laughs> it once. I don't know about twice. He'd <laughs> be like, "Hey, God, what's what's that? Sc- oh, I meant to read that. Ah, oh, shit." <laughs> well, a little. I, I won't throw her under the bus too much, but there was so in the in the commentary box, we've got one monitor in front of us. That's the feed that's going out that everybody's seeing. So that's the one you're looking at. But beside that is another monitor with split screens. So all the other cameras that are happening. You know, so uh, if we're on Moto One, um, then you'll see Moto Two's camera shots as well. You'll see the helicopter shots. And there was a moment where something had happened. Um, I forget what it was now. But there was an attack or something had happened behind, and Nettie started talking about it. And we had to quick tell her. People can't see that because that's not, you know, that's not the shots that everybody's getting to see. So, you know, and unfortunately, you know, for Nettie, she didn't know it was her first time in, in commentary. So they're just one of those little moments that um, I'm sure John would love to be commentating the stuff that's not actually going out to the rest of the world, um, but things mm. that he could see. Yeah. yeah. It's got to happen. We're going to make <laughs> it happen. <laughs> All right, fellas. Thanks for joining us. Uh, what's the plans? When are you flying back to Melbourne? If you got Sunday night to enjoy the ambience. Yeah, well, fly back Sunday, I get back around about 3 o'clock, I think, to Melbourne. But I've got to get straight back because hopefully we're waiting on the email back from uh, Caleb. Help, hopefully we're talking to Caleb Ewan. Oh, yeah. That Sunday should be night. awesome. All yeah. Right. yeah. All right. No worries. Well, we'll be back uh, tomorrow night uh, to recap the Tour Down Under. Uh, to the Sandos Festival of Cycling, get that right. And uh, hopefully we see a very emotional Richie Port at the finish. Uh, thanks for tuning in. See you tomorrow. This 